0: Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello,
1: world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This is the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs and we're brought to you each and every week for the by the American Institute of Sales Marketing and Management it's a bit of a damp day where i am so but i hope that you're enjoying lovely weather wherever you are if you're listening for the very first time well this is the radio program where we try to give you information what's happening this week what's what's news and uh, We give it to you straight. We also try to give you helpful advice on uh, things that can assist entrepreneurs to be more successful. Adidas has been the most talked about brand on Twitter this World Cup. They've done a phenomenal job of um, marketing themselves, certainly demolished Nike along, along the way. They've generated millions and millions of tweets, retweets, and replies, and uh, we tend to think of Twitter as spontaneous, and while spontaneity is one of the central features of social media, the Adidas social media team mapped out the entire World Cup and their campaign campaign. They started it 18 months ago with their agencies, and then the Adidas team started six months ago. So we tend to think of these um, tweets as happening, as I said, spontaneously. And I looked at Oreo. You remember the famous Oreo tweet, you can dunk in the dark during the, the Super Bowl when the lights went out? Well, they worked on that 18 months beforehand. They had literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tweets all ready to go that covered every single eventuality, including the power going out in the stadium. Now, that's pretty remote, but um, they, they had that planned out 18 months in advance Now, it's it's not uncommon for um, most agencies to plot a month's worth of tweets before the um, month even begins. That's not uncommon. But last December, Adidas created an hour-by-hour calendar of what might happen during every game and every possible combination of games during the 32-day World Cup tournament. Their social media agency, We Are Social, who I believe are in London, spent a year flying across the globe, gathering material and paring it down to a 1,000 images and 160 videos that Adidas could post as reactions to what it thought might happen during the Games. So by December last year, It had an hour-by-hour calendar of the full 32-day tournament. So they were all ready for every eventuality in every game, irrespective of who was playing who and how the draw worked out. Now, Adidas is one of the tournament's major sponsors, and that's the main reason why they um, have spent 18 months crafting an incredibly ambitious campaign, not only to build their own players, but also the nine national soccer federations that it sponsors. And they had a campaign called All In or Nothing. And the hashtag All In is the most used brand hashtag on Twitter. And the company's YouTube, uh, <laughs> YouTube YouTube audience has also doubled with more than 200,000 new subscribers during this World Cup. On Facebook, they've added over 1 million fans and a community that they built for Argentine star and Adidas player Lionel Messi has grown by 500,000. Now, every game, 40-odd members of Team Adidas watch the games on three flat screens from their real-time war room that was in Rio de Janeiro. A fourth screen tracked the most searched players among the 100 soccer players that Adidas sponsors. The war room's incredible. It's a technologically tricked-out Room enclosed by glass displays of Adidas footwear, what else? But it's full of laptops and wires and power cords all over the place across wooden tables that they shared, which represented Adidas communications, social media, PR, production, the 10 global soccer markets from Brazil to China. They have execs from Twitter, from YouTube, from Google, from their uh, media-buying agency, Carrot, and also We Are Social, which is producing real-time content as things happen. The goal was to produce and push out exclusive content against social and global retail channels in sync with every one of the 64 World Cup matches. That's an incredible effort, isn't it? 18 months ahead of time. At the French versus Germany match, for example, Adidas player Mats Hummels scored the first goal for Germany. Now, We Are Social had prepared an image of Mr. Hummels and it's live within a minute at Adidas Football and at Adidas football. Taking it one step further... Immediately after the game, Adidas had the image on outdoor projections through Munich, Berlin, and Hamburg. And in these cities, public viewing is huge. They go out into the big plazas and watch it on large screen TVs. Millions of people. By the next morning, it was on digital out-of-home sites, on subways, and on flat screens through German stores. Now, just imagine how that played when they won the final. Woo! For every major play featuring an Adidas player, content was ready to go instantly. Now, as we know, flexibility is the key, and Adidas created a system and a framework instead of traditional media planning. They were so well prepared, they can tell the right stories at the right time. They can take something that's much bigger than social and activate it from German undergrounds to retail stores right across the world. Now, being able to dictate retail space from content created in the war rooms in Brazil while the games are going on is absolutely amazing. And nothing they push outs repeated, it's all one off because they've got this huge library of stuff that they can instantly pull out and get out there. Now, they're looking ahead now even further because the action's going to get faster and faster and match balls and players are all going to be microchipped, which will provide a new level of involvement and statistics and what's happening. Adidas, 18 months preparation for an event on social media. That's the perfect example of how you maximize it. So if you're sitting at home thinking, geez, how can I use social media? I know it's good to build a business. I know that I should be using it. But what can I do? How do I do it? Well, you plan the same way you'd plan a a normal campaign if you were using traditional media. You cover all the eventualities. You get ready to respond to anything that comes back up at you. And, you know, like um, Oreo did, a month out, think of a couple of hundred scenarios. Now, who would have thought that power could go out in a Super Bowl? But they were ready for it. And uh, so if you're thinking about using social media, maybe... It's not quite as spontaneous as you thought it was. Now, last week, I mentioned to you that an in-depth McKinsey study showed that CEOs simply don't trust marketers. You know, 20 years ago, I remember back 20 years ago, 25 years ago, almost every board contained at least one marketer. Today, 73% of CEOs... 73% believe marketers lack business credibility and the ability to generate sufficient growth. Wow. And 80% of CEOs simply don't trust marketers at all, while 91% do trust CIOs and CFOs. So the only guys on the C-suite that nobody likes or trusts are marketers doesn't surprise me I think um, marketers and I 've been one all my life um, we just got out of touch with the real world which is about making money you know we sat back and talked in abstract terms about all sorts of um, numbers and figures and whatever we never allowed ourselves to be um, to be measured we always sold for example television advertising based on the rating of the program um, in which the ad was contained and yet we know that the, say, the third or fourth ad in a break has got less than 10% of the audience that the program had. So we're, we're selling ads on the basis of 10 million viewers, knowing full well we've only got two. And then we wonder why we're not, um, nobody respects us or um, believes us. So last week I said I'd talk about the seven things that marketers need to do to try and reverse situ- this situation. Well, Here goes. I'll have a shot at a few of them. Firstly, marketers need to create a plan that integrates digital marketing. The whole world's changed. Television advertising, the um, revenue in television advertising slumped dramatically. Newspapers are just about on death's door. Radio's still doing well, but um, its audience has been eaten into by smartphones in particular, and and music. So without a digital marketing plan, marketers are going to go nowhere. Planning in silos, particularly channel planning, that's integrated after the event, will ensure that we've got a very disconnected team. And marketers need to appreciate that there's there's just no one plan in isolation if you want to align a team and business. Creating a marketing map to summarize plans, that's going to galvanize your team. And getting a business to have a shared vision and a shared understanding of where you're going has got to be the key to success. Now, this sort of a plan has got to incorporate things like, not incorporate, integrate things like your commercial objectives. Your marketing strategy, your KPIs, um, outline of your campaigns, and it's got to provide a continued focus on marketing, as well as taking into account your business as usual marketing. But digital, that's where the future is. Secondly, you need to develop a consistent and relevant brand story. A best in sector approach to marketing means that considered hierarchy of messages are consistent across all brand touch points, that all content shares a common story, that all platforms work hard to at least support a common online value proposition. The maturing of this mission is not only about consistently branded content, it's about consumer touch points and mapping brand communications in a relevant way, thinking about the customer first and not what you want to say. It's all about the customer. Now, there are a myriad of models to enable the creation of a brand that knows what it is, who it serves, and where it's going. There's a stack of them. The business model generation canvas is one model that also serves to connect the brand to marketing and the wider business Marketers need to create value. They need to not only know and focus on their audience, but they need to design marketing that actually serves the customers. It's all about the customers, particularly with digital media. It's all about the customers. With the proliferation of branded content, there's so much noise in the marketplace And the likelihood of you creating any kind of meaningful cut through is really going to be difficult. So, why should a customer care about you? Marketers must answer this by designing branded content and communications that serve the customer and not the marketer. Start by understanding where your brand motivations overlap with those of your customer. What are the pain points? What are the unmet needs? Your marketing in the form of branded content can exist to entertain, it can educate, it can inspire, it can convince, or it can do all of those things. You know, you can enter- entertain. How do you entertain them? Through games, competitions, quizzes, virals, branded videos. There's lots of ways. Educate them using press releases, infographics, articles, ebooks. Guides, inspire them using community forums, reviews, celebrity endorsements, and you can convince through interactive demos, webinars, case studies is a great one, and product benefits. Now, the four things marketers can do become more, to become more relevant is to innovate and reimagine your business. Now, a number of brands do really great work using the 20, sorry the 70-2010 model that's used by Coke. Now it's about um, recognizing that marketing innovation has a longer-term horizon when you're testing new ideas. About 70 percent of Coke's investment is in now, or the established and successful programs. Twenty percent goes to new or emerging trends that are just starting to gain traction. And 10% goes to ideas that are completely untested. So it's a good balance of what is, what can be, and something that's way out there in the future. The fifth thing that marketers must do is to set manageable objectives and KPIs. There's a simple but crucial difference between goals and objectives. Goals are just broad aspirations of success. Objectives are really specific. If you want to manage expectations, your objectives must be measurable, specific, and with a time frame and KPIs to manage specific channels. The very most important step in elevating the image of marketers is to set and maintain a strategy. Begin with a strategic analysis, including the industry, consumer and marketplace trends, uh, customer activity cycles, competitive analysis, and an assessment of your own strengths, weaknesses, and your resources, your culture. From there, you can develop a mission, objectives, strategy, and uh, supporting arrangements such as Processes, rewards, people, activities, functional policies, etc. Strategy sets leaders apart from followers, sets doers apart from thinkers, and successful people apart from the rest. The seventh step that marketers need to take to become relevant again is to optimize and continue to evolve and improve. We've got to overcome the disconnect with senior management. We've got to create marketing strategy. We've got to be measurable. We've got to speak the business language. That way, we might get respected and pull in the team behind us. There are the things that we can do. Let's start. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, brought to you by the American Institute of Sales Marketing Management. We're here to help entrepreneurs become more successful. After the break, I'm going to be talking with my guest, From London, a great guy, Mike Southern, a serially successful entrepreneur, he's a mentor, he's a best-selling business author, and he's a financial mail columnist in The Mail on Sunday. He's also the co-author of several best-selling business books, including The Beer Mat Entrepreneur. He's a great guy. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. Brought to you by the American Institute of Sales, Marketing, and Management. And I'll be back with you in just a moment.
0: Do you want the world to know you're a force to be reckoned with? If so, you must join the American Institute of Sales, Marketing, and Management, America's foremost accreditation institute. You'll be amazed at how AISMM can open doors that you can't. Increase your prestige and influence. Add the letters AISMM after your name. Apply now. Go to AISMM.org. Again, that's AISMM.org. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This is the show for entrepreneurs. And it's the segment of the show where we interview people who have really made their mark on the world. You know, people that have done something really special and achieved great success, and particularly speaking to people who have something to do with entrepreneurs. My guest today is Mike Southern, a successful serial entrepreneur, a business mentor, a best-selling author, and a financial mail columnist in the Mail on Sunday in the United Kingdom. Now, what's pretty impressive is that Mike built and sold his own company in the 80s, and worked with 17 different startups in the 90s. Now, two of these companies later went public, three went broke, but that means that 12 others were successful. And, you know, we talk on the show often about uh, how hard it is to get um, startups up, and Mike's got a very impressive record. He's a co author of several best selling business books, including The Beer Mat Entrepreneur and sales on a beer mat. I guess Mike likes a drink. He's also a very experienced entrepreneur mentor, having provided face-to-face mentoring from over 1,000 business executives in the last 10 years. Now on this program, I'm always urging successful people to get out there and support and invest in entrepreneurs because not only is it enormously rewarding personally, it's very rewarding financially if you help these companies become successful. Now Mike's living proof of this. is the ambassador for the Federation of Small Business and Entrepreneur in Residence for the City of Liverpool in the UK. He's also one of the most experienced business speakers in the world, speaking at a hundred events every year, obviously taking some of my work. And Mike <laughs> focuses on explaining how to be enterprising, whether you're starting a new business. Or whether you work in a large organisation. Hi, Mike. Welcome to the oh, Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Good morning, Show. Bob. How are you?
2: Well, I'm extremely well. Extremely well. Cool. I had a quiet night last night. I'm pleased to say so. Uh, Hangover-free this morning. I'm pleased oh. to.
1: Good, good. <laughs> How did you get started as an entrepreneur? Is that where you started, or did you start with a big company?
2: Well, we kind of started in the pub. Uh, you know, I'm known as the BMS entrepreneur, <laughs> or, or as Australians or Americans might call it, the coaster entrepreneur. Yeah. No, it was, it was kind of a fluke. I was in a pub in my university town with a couple of friends that I'd been to the Edinburgh Fringe with, and at the time I was selling scaffolding rather unsuccessfully, and they said, "Now you've got to get a job in London with these guys because we are freelancing for them because my friends were experts in the Unix operating system when it was quite rare Back in the yeah. 80s yeah. and they were computer science lecturers and they used to uh, swan down to london and give courses and so i got a job with the company giving the courses then the three of us sat down again in the pub and we decided let's start a company for ourselves so we started in 84 company called the Instruction Set which grew to 150 people in five years. Now, at wow. the time, I thought this was down to my fantastic selling skills. I've since learned <laughs> kind of the hard way that it was uh, due to being at the right place at the right time. But anyway, we had a very successful company, which we sold in the 80s. And then then we went off and played in a band for a while full time. which was great fun. then yeah. I went back to the, the startups you mentioned with very mixed success, I have to say. Uh, you know, some went public, some went broke, some still, still carry on. It's... Uh, I you a know, big learning experience in the 90s working with unsuccessful companies especially and then as you said I've done a lot of mentoring in the last 10 years and you're absolutely right I've learned probably more about entrepreneurship in mentoring people than I have out of anything else that's why it's been so absolutely rewarding
1: Yeah, it is rewarding Well, you know, it's very difficult I, I often sprout numbers on this show that um, out of every 3,700 patents only one becomes commercially successful
2: yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's tough, and, and and the biggest, I would say, the biggest element for success for any entrepreneur is the ability to find and hang on to experienced mentors, plural, because you can get mentors Absolutely. in all kinds of different areas. I agree. Um, so finding them and hanging on to them. Another definition that mentoring should always be free. I mean, you can pay for advice. Oh, course, I agree with so that's it too. that, too. That, that's, a, that's a consultant, and you can measure that. And if you don't feel you're getting value for money, you can ask for your money back, or you can buy more, or whatever. Yep. But mentoring should be something that people like you or I do, You know, because you've got a bit of spare time. We've had a good week speaking, for example. That's, that's my situation. I think your situation, as well. You've got a spare hour. You're willing to have a coffee or a beer with somebody and just give them some really basic advice, and, it, it, and the advice... Sometimes it's how to do stuff, sometimes it's who to speak to, and uh, very occasionally it's the, the moral compass, you know, the difference between right and wrong in business and how to be ethical and that kind of stuff. So it's, it's absolutely fascinating, and I'm sure you do the same. People yeah. from, you know, a bunch of kids with loads of good ideas to really quite experienced people going through quite a traumatic time thinking, should I sell my company? That's yeah. the top end. and that's, that's, of course, very rewarding as well.
0: Yeah,
1: well... I saw some statistics not long ago that said that 72% of companies um, that fail, startups that Mm -hmm. fail, don't fail because they haven't got a bloody good idea. They fail because they don't have the experience in business to run a company. Because it's one thing to have a great idea, it's something Mm -hmm. else to run a successful company. And so people like you and I that have done it um, can give them advice that they really can't you know, it's not intuitive to them and they can't, um, it, unless you go out and you read a hundred books of mine, um, then <laughs> you can't, um, you know, it's hard to pick up how to be a good businessman. Absolutely right.
2: And we say at the beginning of our book, the Beamer Entrepreneur. I mean, ten years ago, we said that business is simple. Not that it isn't long hours and hard work sometimes, but it is simple things done well. And very much when you're mentoring, I'm sure you find this. Yeah. It's just keeping them focused on the core stuff. Keep it simple. Do the basics. Don't try to too much too quickly, and treat your customers well. And all, all really basic stuff, which people just need to be reminded. All of us need reminding. I'm sure you and I need reminding now yeah, and then as I well. Do.
1: Me too. Now, many of the great ideas and designs and songs mm-hmm. have been scribbled on a napkin or a placemat or something. I, I know that a John Lennon um, song just sold recently for a million dollars or something, and just ten words scribbled on a placemat. So, is, is that the thought behind your successful book, the beer mat entrepreneur? Or how did that whole beer mat thing come about?
2: well it was literally we were in a pub writing on a beer mat or as, as you call it a coaster and, and the key there you, you're, you're right it's a metaphor it could be you could be in a restaurant you could be writing on sure. a napkin but the key thing there is to get the idea down. We get the idea down quickly and yeah. also simply you don't write a whole business plan on a beer mat obviously yeah. it's real simple stuff and we, we say the three things <coughs> you, you should be putting on your beer mat is first your elevator pitch I, I structure it a bit for them what's Absolutely. the elevator pitch for your business I'm sure you've yep. been through this many times sure. then who's going to be your first mentor who's the first person you're going to they call Bob Pritchard up and buy him a beer and ask him a question and you know you get a bit of guidance, maybe get him to introduce us to a few people, that's a, another good thing you can do.
0: Absolutely. And
2: then finally, who is gonna be your first customer? Because I've met so many entrepreneurs, got brilliant ideas, but they haven't really thought about who would buy this product or service. Because if you've got somebody who's willing to put their hand in their pocket, give you some money, even if it's a friend or a family friend or whatever, if they give you money for your product and you end up with a profit on the transaction, well, you're an entrepreneur, the rest is detail frankly and yeah, so many right people right. fall at that hurdle so there's, there's three things you ought to be thinking about you know how would you pitch your idea in 20 seconds in an elevator to somebody who's a good mentor to give you a bit of guidance Some like yourself and
1: then who's, who are you going to ask for money from you know yeah. really quickly yeah because I was, I was sitting here thinking I can imagine that you're sitting in a pub you've had a few beers and you sit down and you say we're going to start a business we're going to think of a name and you mm-hmm. go f- for half an hour and a couple more beers and you can't think of a name so you say bugger it we'll call it the Beer Mat entrepreneur absolutely
2: <laughs> well strangely enough that's how the, the book came about chris and i were going to call it um and chris west michael Wolf and i were going to call it something like from acorns to oaks which is actually another, another very good book here in england yeah. and we we're in a pub garden in cambridge a very good friend of ours bill thompson said oh that's a rubbish name no so what's happening in the book we said well the guys go down the pub and they write on a beer mat and bill just said why don't you call it the beer mat entrepreneur and chris and i both looked at each other and thought well, there's a million-dollar comment. We've been trying to give him money ever since, but he's a lovely guy and he yeah, won't accept it. So the best ideas happen in the pub. I do say, um, you know, you write your ideas in the pub and then always look at the beer mat in the morning when you're sober, you know, because you <laughs> may cross off a few of the things you wrote down when you would had yeah, a few.
1: Most of them. Um, you, you've said that uh, you think the Beatles are the UK's most expen- expensive, successful <laughs> entrepreneurs. Why is that? You're, well, you're obviously from Liverpool since you're so connected to Liverpool with the... Um, uh, mentoring so. well
2: I'm actually not from Liverpool oh, I've kind of been okay. adopted
1: by the city Now,
2: I've always been a huge Beatles fan yeah, me
0: too. and you know
2: I play in bands and this that and the other yeah. and then you know I, I hit the speaking circuit when our book came out about 10 years ago and I was talking about you know my experiences and beer mats and pubs and so on and then I was out in the far east with a good friend of mine Roger Hamilton and I had like 10 minutes to do at the end of a conference I was, I'll do something a bit different just for fun so Basically, I did the bit at, bit at the end of Abbey Road called "The End," yep. where, I, where I mimed the Beatles, and everybody stood up and clapped for ten minutes. I thought well, maybe onto something. Then I suddenly realised that uh, the the Beatles are, you know, they were entrepreneurs. They weren't working for anybody. You know, they're they're brilliant guys had a great idea, which is American music. Then they thought, hey, we can earn a couple of pounds doing this. Then, of course, they're quite good, so they can earn a lot of pounds, and then they have huge success, and it goes horribly wrong. So I used the Beatles as a metaphor for entrepreneurship, and that all led into my becoming. Entrepreneur and residents for the city because I go around the world putting the Beatles in a business context, yeah. uh, which is, um, you know, kind of different kind of flow to it. So, and it really resonates with Beatles fans. In fact, actually, I'm coming over to, uh, I can't really say a lot about this because it's a bit under wraps, but there's a great show called Backbeat, which is all about the Beatles in Hamburg.
0: Yes. It's later in
2: London. And it's played in um, various other places, but it's coming to Los Angeles. And I think I'm going to be doing some press-related stuff in January with some of my friends from Liverpool. I can't say too much. It's going to be really, really special just to support the show. Because I was with Carl Sider, who's the uh, producer of that, and another show called Dirty Dancing, which is doing very well here yep. in the UK. So, yep. so, so maybe, maybe a little bit closer to you, maybe in Los Angeles in, in January. So I'll, I'll let you know about that. and if make you, come sure over, you that's call great,
1: it. Yeah, make mm. sure we can have a beer.
2: Yeah I'd love to have a beer in the theatre and uh, so you'll meet some very special Beatle related people I can't say anymore otherwise I'll be, be in real trouble but uh, yeah i would say I'd, so. that's my main keynote something about the Beatles so you can view it at two levels one it's a Beatles story and nobody enjoys the Beatles music I play videos and so on but underneath is how to be an entrepreneur how the Beatles did it how they had an elevator pitch who their mentor was who their first customer was
1: kind of following our model and uh, yeah so it's, it's a fun show I, I spent a session with Ken Scott, Ken oh, Scott right. and uh, he actually built he brought um, a whole bunch of individual tracks and he started, he started off with just the original vocal this is what it's going to sound like yeah, yeah. And, and then built the song over the course of about an hour and 15 minutes just laying okay. track over track of it it was sensational Absolutely. Um, now, you're regarded as an expert on Sir Richard Branson. And I am, yes. Uh, that, that kind of came came about by accident. It all happened, actually, to do with Liverpool again, which is the city of Liverpool.
2: We thought, well, let's see if we can win the Global Entrepreneurship Congress, which is a big, big event, which happens once a year. I think you've previously been in Dubai. Next year, it's in Rio. So, so I helped the bid team win that, you know, obviously yeah. by putting Sir Paul McCartney on the front of the bid document. always helped. So then we thought, <laughs> wow, we've got this great conference coming. Kaufman Foundation uh, bring their conference for two days. But day one, you can do anything. So my idea was, let's get the BT Convention Centre, which is a fantastic venue in Liverpool, just by the river there. And wouldn't it be great to get Sir Richard Branson. And then somebody said to me, well, if you can get Sir Richard Branson, then you can interview him on stage. So I set myself the task of doing that. Sp- spoke to people in Virgin Group. Yeah. And nine months later, there I was in Liverpool. But in the meantime... Um, they realized that, you know, I knew how to interview him, so I did an event at his house, which is great, I did uh, the launch of the Branson Centre in Montego Bay in Jamaica, which is fabulous, Launch of his book in London, so by the time I got to Liverpool, and then another event in London, um, I've done all the research, I've got the videos, I've got, you know, all the the background material, so again, I can put, I can tell the Richard Branson story, you know, with its ups and downs, let's be honest, I mean, quite a few of his companies have gone under, but overall, he's he's a very, very interesting man, and... uh, Yeah, he does all the good in the world as well. His Virgin Unite uh, Foundation is fantastic in the Branson Centre. So it's kind of a Richard Branson story if you can't afford Sir Richard Branson.
1: (laughs) Now, is his... um, My next question was going to be, is his success rate in business as good as the image suggests? And I know he's had 247 companies or something, and most of them have gone broke. And I've travelled on Virgin Rail. Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) So, and I... It was very late the day I was traveling on it, but then that applies to every sure. railway in the world. But, um, so is there, a, is there a big difference between the Richard Branson true success story and the image that is pumped out so very carefully day by day?
2: Well, obviously the image is that he's a great entrepreneur, which he certainly is. And, Of course, part of that is you try stuff and some stuff doesn't work. I mean, the first time I interviewed him, I actually didn't discuss it with him. I was having a great interview. I said, but hang on, Sir Richard, you know, not all your, your businesses have been a success. Talk about one that failed and, and why. I mean, he gave me a bit of an old-fashioned look, but then he went into a great story about Virgin Cola, about how he thought it was the best cola in the world. Everybody seemed to like it, but then Coca-Cola legitimately took him out of the market by discounting in supermarkets. And then you can tell the story of, um, you know, virgin... Airways, where he was able to fight back because he had a better quality product. He had customer loyalty. Yeah. The, the, the thing about him is it's very much gut feel. I mean, he hasn't invented anything. That's the thing that people kind of forget. He didn't invent the airline or the cola or whatever it is he's doing. He just makes, he's going to make it better or provide specifically better customer experience. Now, whether mm-hmm. he has it on individual occasions is different, but that's what he sets out to do. Yeah. And he's just, you know, he's bought bits of a bank here in the UK. He's going to have, he's called Virgin Money. It's not even called a bank. So he thinks the banks are discredited. He's going to do banks a better way he may or may not succeed and sometimes he has to just say to everybody look it's not working let's shut it down so well done for trying but his the perception is he's willing to try stuff and crucially he's the people's friend now not everybody gets him but those who do who like him who like like you know what he does and what he stands for you get the customer loyalty so if your virgin train is half an hour late you forgive richard whereas another train operator you might not
1: yeah, Virgin um, Virgin Cola was pretty brave because I was actually a consultant to Coke at the time that ah. uh, that Sainsbury's took um, Coke off the shelves because Coke had had been smart with the um, with the football teams oh, and yeah. had taken the money from the, the local clubs and stuck it into um, into the FA, mm-hmm. and uh, I was on a plane. Coke sent me on a plane to get to um, to get to England and to get. Virgin Cola off the shelves, no matter what. Yeah, um, and so you know, he, he he was pushing it uphill there because um, uh, Coke's got so much muscle, and and they can just lean on everybody. Uh, we we constantly talk about um, mentoring, and we. Mm-hmm. And we talk about it all the time in this program we discussed it earlier mm-hmm. at what stage of a business do you think is mentoring the most important? Well obviously
2: right at the beginning because yep. you know you're, you're typically young, young and experience, and here's somebody sitting in front of you saying look here's what you do A, B, C, D, E yeah. um, but I'm very um, conscious that you know older people, people I get mentored myself all the time especially for stuff like uh, speaking which is what I do for a living I mean I'm member of the Professional Speakers Association here, uh, you know, similar to the NSA in America. Sure. And uh, I really enjoy it when fellow fellows of the Professional Speakers Association see me speak and say, Mike, you are rubbish. Of course, everyone else is applauding. That's the kind of mentoring you need when you think you're good at something. and You're getting complacent or... Whatever, um, so I'm I'm huge on mentoring, and I get mentored all the time now, usually by people younger than me who are experts in particular areas. So if it's an area of speaking, it could be how to write gags or how to perform a comedy or improvisation, or we were just talking about our mutual friend John Briggs, who's a you know fantastic guy. He's a voiceover artist. It's, you know, it's all about speaking clearly. You know, I get tips from him every single day, and that's what I call mentoring.
1: Yeah, well, I, I, I was, um, I've been speaking for more years than I care to remember, and uh, I had a meeting with my agent um, probably about three months ago, and they said, okay, it's rubbish. You've got to mm-hmm. change the look of everything. You've got to change yeah. the way you sound. You got to change the way you look. And mm-hmm. I was, I was devastated. You know, they said, you know, your old hat. You know, mm-hmm. people have been seeing this stuff for whatever amount of time. Total. Total um, revamp if you want to if you want to continue working, and um, you know so you need that absolutely. The, I mean it's a, it's much harder to change actually than <laughs> 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 than you think, but uh, nevertheless. So when you um, what about uh, financing? Startups. Do you have anything to do with trying to help startups get funding or do you talk to some of your peers to, to see if you can pass the hat around? Do you do any of that sort of...?
2: Well, I try to keep out of that because I do so much mentoring and I like to keep the mentoring separate so people yeah. aren't, you know, I'm not looking at them thinking, you know, my things to invest. Obviously, I've got a really, really big network of the kind of people who like to invest in things. Sure. Especially angel investors. And of course, yeah, they, they really appreciate for me saying, you know, I've done a bit of mentoring. And of course, my mentoring really focuses around do I think they can sell anything? So if I think, yeah, actually, or a friend of mine, I said, buy one of those, see what you think. Yeah. Um, so I do a bit of mentoring in that respect. But I always say to entrepreneurs that... Um, a lot of people think, well, I've got to get funding before I get started. Now, this is not true, especially of a service. I mean, the company that I co-founded back in 84, on the first morning, I sold a course we hadn't written yet to somebody who liked us, got yeah. the money up front, and then hoped for the best of the course kind of thing. Yeah. And R- Richard Branson does that all the time. If you've got a service, you should be able to get some of the money up front. And yeah. you should. Be, and the best way of funding a business, of course, is revenue. If you can get yeah. revenue, keep the revenue coming in, you know, you don't have to go to the banks, you don't have to go to the investors. And I have to say when I was dealing with venture capitalists in in those days, you know, it really wasn't a very pleasant experience for, for a lot of reasons. That's a whole different interview. No, so it's not. Yeah. The, the dream idea is that, yeah, sure. There, there are always people that know people who think I might be interested in investing. And I always yeah. say to angel investors, look, this is money you're gonna lose. So assuming you're gonna lose it, then you won't be disappointed. You'll have fun, you'll do some good maybe if it's a social enterprise. So assuming you lose it, if you get something, you know, that's an, that's an advantage. So it's not money you care about because with venture capitalists they can be pretty brutal about getting their money back. True. So so, you know, if you can fund it on revenue, that's the absolute best thing. Then you're not beholden to anybody. But plus if you are going for funding, the best argument you can say to a potential funder is, I've got a great product or service and here's one of my customers who not only has actually put their hand in their pocket you know, when I was nobody. And yeah, paid for it, yeah. And paid for it, and they're saying, I tell you what, if you put you know, half a million dollars into that company, I'll buy another 100,000 kind of thing because I'm a bit worried they can cope with this big order. So if you put some money in, yeah, I go, an order waiting. Of course, there's A, B, C, D, E they got to do and you know, there's always conditions and this, that, and the other. But the strongest argument is your customer's argument saying, yeah, do you know what so other people do what they do? I like them and I buy from them because they give me the quality, the sport, the service, the- whatever it is that, that, that makes them different and special
0: hmm.
1: but One of the things that I try to impress on um, uh, entrepreneurs is that there's one really simple reason why 100% of failures happen mm-hmm. that's because they don't get enough revenue yep. I, I mean it's really simple You can. You, there's a hundred other reasons but the main reason is they're not getting in enough revenue to yep. build their business and so and, and yeah you know, I was marketing director for Kerry Packer and one of the things we used to have to do every day is sit there and say um what did I do today that mm-hmm. made the company money so at the end yeah. of the day six o'clock at night what did I do today that made and you sit there and you think gee I got in at seven thirty, and I've worked my butt off all day and I've been as busy as hell now what did I do that actually made the company money well mm-hmm. um yeah. Uh, gee, I'm not really sure. <laughs> you know, And th- there's so much of that these days, you know, the, with with technology the way it is and the instant gratification that everybody's seeking. Um, there's too little focus on actually making a buck.
2: Absolutely. Now, those are very wise words, and I, I find myself saying that to people. You've got to ask for money, and again, a lot of entrepreneurs think, well, if I build a great website, everybody will come to my website and pay money. Well, they yep. might. I hope so. I really hope so. But have got to get out there and talk to people and sell. So nothing beats having somebody a bit like yourself or myself who's used to going to talking to people saying, hey, why don't you try this out and, you know, give me some money. You need a salesperson on the case.
1: Yeah, I think it's really difficult initially. I remember, you know, I'm not shy about asking for money now and I'm not shy about asking for money up front and I'm not <laughs> shy about asking for a good lump of money. But sure. um, when you first start, you know, you're very hesitant about asking for money. Sure. You, you underprice your value because mm-hmm. you desperately want to get the money in. And mm-hmm. so I think that's where a mentor can be an enormous help. Well, absolutely right.
2: Because I would say, um, the first sale is the hardest. After that, it gets easier. Um, yep. cause you've got a reference customer and say, well, look, you know, check out what Surns They've bought my stuff. So I always say, sell to your friends first. Because, I mean, friends is a broad term. It could be a good friend. So that's a sure. good start. Yeah, but, no, but people who knew you from an old company. And you're basically saying, look, Bob, I've got this thing. You know, I should probably charge people £20 for it. You know, I'll give it to you for 10. Uh, but I want your honest answer. Cause if it's rubbish, I need to know quickly. Cause you're my mate. And you're thinking, yeah, all right, I'll give you a chance. And then you say, okay, right. So you got that for £10, 10 pounds or $10. Yeah, be honest. On a scale of one to ten, one is I want my money back. Ten is I want to buy a hundred thousand. Now, yeah. everybody else I'll charge more money for. Actually, what do you think I ought to charge other people? You'll always get a deal, but of course you'll be my reference customer, so I can say, look, I've got a great whatever it is widget. Check with my friend Bob; he bought one, and then yeah. I'll, I'll go. I'll get the drinks in. I'll come back with an order form. If you're happy, so. Sell to your friends first, and sell locally. You know, local is good, you know, it could be somebody doing brilliant, you know, sure. whatever it is up in Aberdeen or where it is, miles away, but you're just around the corner. That's another good, good thing yeah, to say. I, I think that's and, right. and of course, services are easier to sell than products early, early on. Now, let me spend an hour looking at that for you. Let me spend a day working on that for you, rather than I'll have a finished product for you. Well, I hope it's finished in, in six weeks' time. There's investment, it might not work. So. So even if you've got the greatest widgets in the world, you can sell a bit of widget consultancy first or let me understand your widget needs or study your widgets, see why they're not working. So a little bit of services you can do just to get some scores on the boards.
1: And I agree. Mike, thank you very much for joining me on the Bob Pritchard Show. Um, I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. I know how frenetic you are. A hundred speeches a year. (laughs) Whee! Um, Now, if you'd like to... And I look, make sure you call me when you come to Los Angeles. I'll, I will definitely be in touch about that because uh, where are you
2: physically based Bob?
1: I'm in Los Angeles
2: oh perfect well in which case I'm definitely I'm getting you to whatever it is I can't talk about because it's a little bit secret but you will okay. if, you're, if you're a Beatles fan you will love it I and mean, the show itself is fabulous so I'll definitely get you some good seats for that
1: uh, now I've been in I've been, I've been in, living in Los Angeles for 25 years I still sound like an Australian don't I? Uh,
2: yeah, well, that's <laughs> what I was wondering you're obviously in the Australian quarter of Los Angeles
1: <laughs> I, I, well I don't know I just you can't teach an old dog new tricks, I think. There we now go. If, if you'd like to find out more about Mike Southern or book him for your next presentation, you can contact him at Mike Southern S O U T H O N dot com. That's M I K E Mike Southern S O U T H O N dot com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard radio show after this short break.
0: The American Institute of Sales, Marketing, and Management is one of the leading accreditation institutes in the world. Do you have the letters AISMM after your name? Do you have the AISMM accreditation certificate on your wall for your clients and colleagues to envy? Do you have the AISMM membership pin on your lapel? AISMM helps you do business. Join the American Institute of Sales, Marketing, and Management now. Go to AISMM.org. That's AISMM.org. Are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show? To connect with Bob, please send an email to Bob at BobPritchard.com. That's Bob at BobPritchard.com. Now back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob
1: Pritchard. Straight talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show. Brought to you by the American Institute for Sales, Marketing, and Management on the Voice America Business Network. If you've missed any of the shows, don't forget you can go into the archives and uh, listen to any one of the shows over the last three years and any one of the 170 odd interviews that we've done and uh, you can catch up and you can see just how right we are in our predictions. The reason this email segment is um, so popular is that it doesn't matter what you do for a living. It doesn't matter whether you've got a dry cleaner or you're a plumber or you're in the um, technology business. When we're trying to run a business and when we're trying to get it off the ground, we all face the same challenges. And I've been through it a few times, sometimes successful, sometimes not. But um, that's the way of the entrepreneur. My first email today is from Alan Johnson of Reseda in Los Angeles, which is pretty close to where I live. And Alan writes, Dear Bob, I really enjoy your show. It provides me with a host of information I would not otherwise be able to access. Access, Bob, my first question concerns your field, marketing. I grew up in the old marketing school. Can you explain to me simply how marketing is different in today's environment than it was in the past? That's not a bad question. Um, well, firstly, thanks for your email, Alan. I appreciate it. But I actually saw an article yesterday by Linda Cairns, and I th- thought it addressed a lot of the questions that you and many other people have asked about how we market our products in today's pretty different environment. You know, I've, I've had about 40 years working around the world with major corporations and major sports bodies that engage some of the world's most creative thinkers. However, there's nothing better to hone your focus and uh, teach you lessons than to work with entrepreneurs on limited budgets. So in her article, Linda proposes 14 things you need to know about marketing communications today in this brand new world. So let me just run through them for you. The first is that marketing materials don't have to cost a lot. You can create a very good TV or video commercial for under $50,000, and with new technology, and an abundance of great underutilized talents. I mean, there's so many talented people out there that are trying to make their mark, both in technology and entertainment. Um, You can create a spot pretty cheaply. If you really understand your brand and it's being managed with the right message to the right people, putting it on video doesn't have to be expensive at all. And it can still be fun and fresh and educational and get noticed. You know, you can get um, logos and graphics designed by talented up-and-comers. You can get celebrity endorsements if you look around. You know, they won't be A-listers, but you can get endorsements for very little dollars. You might have to give away a little bit of the company. But, um, you know, you can do it for fifty grand. If the brand fits authentic and the message is on target and the ultimate program is win-win for everybody, you can do a lot with a little upfront investment. Secondly, you need to learn to pay what, is, what something's worth, not what it costs. And so you need to um, negotiate. Almost everything's negotiable. Um, so in general, you can get the product done or media needed for a price that's in line with the value that it creates. Uh, we just negotiated only a month or so ago a 50% discount off the original quote for a television campaign with absolutely no sacrifice in placement. So if you don't search and you don't ask, you won't get. Thirdly, you've got to work with people who offer value. With internet, email and mobile, ideas come from all sorts of places at all times of the day and night. And, you know, today we have little divide between work life and home life and they get all jumbled up together. So... Just make sure that people who intrude on your life are giving you value and offering you a return on your time. If they're not, don't talk to them. I made a decision a long time ago only to work with people that I like, people that I trust, and people that I respect, and people who like and trust me. I think it's important because it keeps you motivated. It keeps you enthusiastic. It keeps, you, keeps the energy level up, and it does get results. The fifth important thing to know about communication today is that while PR has always been effective and always been pretty cost-effective, um, efficient element of, um, of any marketing strategy, if you've got something important to say today, it's even quicker. It's easy, and it's much less expensive than it used to be. You know, with one click – the world can learn about your message, so as long as it's newsworthy and creates interest, it'll get, it'll get exposure. Social networking, blogging, and viral pickup, if it's a good message, can work magic. I mean, you can go around the world in 30 seconds. These days, there's very little need to send out a formal release, but it doesn't just happen. You have to have a detailed strategy and really work at it but if your product really addresses a niche those are in tune with that niche will pick it up they'll rave about it and they'll share it and that's what it's about there are many people in almost every field of endeavor who could spot something that's it they go wow i love that and if they think that it's cool great stylish functional or whatever and determine that it's a must-have, they'll tell their circle of friends. And most of these circles, friends these days, are pretty substantial. The seventh most important factor in achieving great results from marketing today is to do something that you're passionate about and love. And if you're fanatical about it, enthusiasm spreads. It creates energy. And energy and enthusiasm in communications are contagious, And if you're passionate, other people will be too. The eighth key is something that we talk about a lot on this show, and that's to surround yourself with a team of people that have diverse skills, various points of view, different backgrounds, but can communicate with each other. Don't fight all the time. Don't try to put each other down. Don't try to score points. Um, And, you know, it makes life... If you all work together, it makes life a lot easier and much more uh, pleasant. You can also bring a holistic uh, perspective and new ideas to the table. You've also got to, you know, you need to stretch your imagination and your thinking. No matter how weird or off the wall, the idea is none should be discarded. Today's disruptive business environment, some of the most initial wacky ideas come mainstream very quickly. Most businesses are created because of the strength of an individual, but they s- succeed based on the um the strength of the team that's pulled together behind it. The ninth key is not what you know, but it's who you know. We all know that, but you don't have to have known them for a long time. all you've got to do is pick up the phone, find a way you can find anybody on Google on LinkedIn you know. F- four degrees of separation probably you can find anyone you want um and you can even get home phone numbers and all sorts of things and if you don't have to buy lists and that sort of stuff so tell them why you're excited how you think they can help you what you want from them and you'll be surprised how many times you'll win all the research in the world is right at your fingerprint at fingerprints um fingertips now google's a fantastic tool and uh you know just take a look get alerts do searches check twitter streams ask questions start a dialogue engage consumers on a fan page a blog tumblr pinterest what else is there instagram facebook so you can you can do all of that so alan thanks very much for your email and your question a copy of my international bestseller, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition, will be sent off to you tomorrow. If you don't have a copy, go out and get one. It's, um, it really is a good book. So if you have a special person you'd love me to interview, or you've got special topics that you'd like me to address on the show, please make sure you contact me. And um, don't forget, I want to hear from you. So visit my website at com. sign up for my newsletter, going out now, email me, tweet me, and tell me what it is that you want to talk about. So thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Radio Show, brought to you by the American Institute for Sales, Marketing, and Management. And remember, if you're serious about being successful, this is the very place to come every week at exactly the same time.